Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 150. I'm your host, Derek Moore. This week, we're going to be talking about the Fed Minutes. I will read each and every word of the 14 pages of Fed Minutes. No, I'm not going to do that. But this week, we're going to talk a little about the market reaction to the Fed Minutes. Did the Fed not project correctly what it was going to do? Was this? They mentioned balance sheet reduction. Uh, having a balance sheet reduction closer to normalization of policy. Uh, a bunch of stuff to unwrap here. Did the market get it wrong? Did they not, or did the Fed not communicate this correctly? So I'll explain what the minutes are, when they get released, how they happen afterwards. By the way, before I mention that, I uh, enjoy getting the, uh, the emails and notes from people suggesting topics for these podcasts. I always like to hear from listeners. You can reach me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at zegafinancial.com. That's Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple. Uh, financial is up to you to spell correctly. Derek.more at zegafinancial.com. If you want to uh, suggest other episodes, comment on these, give me any feedback, or just learn a little bit more about how we hedge and manage portfolios. Happy to uh, uh, set up some time with folks. Okay, so what happened? Well, I think it was what, January 6th? It was during the week. Uh, the Fed minutes came out from the December 14th and 15th meeting. And so what happens is they have a, a Fed meeting. Normally, at least with Chairman Powell, every Fed meeting has a post meeting press conference. And then a while later, the minutes come out. And the minutes, as I said, they're 14 pages printed on PDF. And yes, I printed them out. I'm going to read them so uh, I can kind of go through some of the, the key points here. And really what, what sort of changed in, in these minutes. The next meeting, I believe, is in January uh, coming up. I don't think there's a February meeting, but there is a March meeting. And March is interesting because now a lot of people believe that potentially could be where the Fed raises its rates. Now, uh, another thing that happened this week, so the bond uh, bond market uh, sold off, meaning rates went higher, and rates broke through some some resistance levels that uh, that have been in, in place for some time. Ten-year was up over 1.7. The five-year up over, uh, what was up over 1.5, right? Uh, and the 30-year bond was back above 2%. So, Okay, what changed this time? Well, all right, so we knew that the Feds was ending the purchases of bonds. And I want to be clear on this. The Fed was putting, what was it, $120 million a month in a combination of U.S. Treasuries and MBS, or mortgage-backed securities. And so that was already known. They were going to stop adding money or increasing the balance sheet every month. And as they increase the balance sheet, i.e. putting money into MBS and treasuries. One of the things that was in the minutes, and I'll, I'll get to in a second, was the idea of balance sheet reduction. And I think that was a little bit new to the markets. And again, I, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't know, maybe Powell just wasn't asked about it, but I don't remember there being an inclination that they would be looking at balance sheet reduction. 
So what does balance sheet reduction means? Okay. So the Fed holds uh, mortgage-backed securities, treasury bonds, treasury notes. <clears throat> They've got uh, some overnight reverse repos that are on the, the books. I'll get to those in a little bit. But a balance sheet reduction just means as you have all these bonds, some bonds mature. And as the bonds mature, the Fed would say, okay, they can let them run off. So uh, let me give you an example. Let's say the, the, the Fed's balance sheet was only $10 million or uh, let's say it's $7 million, right? I, I, I should have looked at it. It's, it's close to that. And let's, let's imagine 1 million of the 7 million bonds matured. And so if the Fed just let those mature, let them run off the balance sheet, then the balance sheet would go from 7 million to, uh, to, to 6 million. So, and by the way, the Fed has trillions of dollars on a balance sheet, all right? So that's why I'm, <laughs> I know you're like, wait a second, isn't it, you know, something trillion? Yeah, yeah, it's trillions. I'm giving you an example. So the balance sheet of my example would go to 6 million from 7 million. The 1 million runs off. Well, just because the Fed stopped buying those, increasing the size of the balance sheet every month, doesn't mean they would stop buying bonds. And there was no talk necessarily of letting the balance sheet be reduced. If they kept the same size of the balance sheet, what they would do is as the bonds came in uh, to maturity and they ran off, they would buy new bonds to replace it. Again, completely separate from the whole 120, uh, you know, a, a month that they were putting into bonds. So, okay, did I say 120 million? Let me let me just clean that up. All right, so it's 120 billion they were doing a month, and to give you an official size of the uh, the Fed balance sheet assets, total assets. Uh, on the Fed balance sheet, that's uh, a little over $8 trillion right now. So what happened in the minutes is during a, and you know, in the minutes, they didn't make any determinations of what they would do. They said basically, okay, regarding the outlook of U.S. monetary policy, expectations for a reduction in policy accommodations shifted forward notably. All right, and they also noted they didn't make any decisions. But there were a couple things in here. And now look, they, they know the minutes are going to be made public. So, you know, when, when these are written up, I'm sure that, you know, there's nothing groundbreaking or, or surprising here. But in the minutes, there were a few things that I found interesting. And one of the discussions apparently they had was about the appropriate conditions and timing for starting balance sheet runoff relative to raising the federal funds rate. And almost all participants agreed that it would likely be appropriate to initiate balance sheet runoff at some point after the first increase in the target rate for the federal funds rate. And I underline this. However, participants judged that the appropriate timing of the balance sheet runoff would likely be closer to that of policy rate liftoff. And as, as I said, I mean, a lot of speculation. And by the way, I, I don't know necessarily what's going to happen with all this. I mean, a lot of this is, and sometimes good news is bad news, bad news is good news. Uh, but there is some increased speculation that they could raise as, as soon as March. 
And I'll be honest with you, there's still still discussion out there whether the Fed raising interest rates will do anything for inflation given the supply chain stuff and some of the other factors and wage increases and the labor market situation. So that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but the idea that, uh, and, and, the, and further, and they said a, a larger, the fact that they have, uh, okay, they know the current conditions included a stronger economic outlook, higher inflation, and a larger balance sheet, that's the Fed's balance sheet, and thus could warrant a potentially faster pace of policy rate normalization. And they emphasize that the decision to initiate runoff would be data dependent. So that's that was sort of interesting, and that caught the markets by surprise. Again, I, I maybe people missed it. Maybe they weren't communicating it properly, or people just missed it. Uh, but I don't know that anyone was talking about balance sheet reduction. And markets don't like unknowns. They don't like surprises. So if they were to you know, do balance sheet runoff, that does take them out of, let's say, the Fed of replenishing those bonds that run off and going into the market and buying them. And that's sort of, you know, interesting. And part of the reason I think some people, I'm speculating, but some people on the Fed want the balance sheet reduced is so they have a freshened up or replenished toolbox if they have to do something on policy, if, if the markets warrant it. So that was interesting. The other interesting thing was some discussion about the yield curve. Now, the yield curve is really flat. It's unflattened a little bit, got a little steeper. But by uh, flat yield curve, it means that rates on, let's say, five-year treasuries, 10-year treasuries are not that different than 30-year treasuries. And normally, you would expect to have a higher rate the further you go out, have a higher time premium or term premium. So that was uh, that was also mentioned, and and what was mentioned was some participants commented that removing policy accommodation by relying more on balance sheet reduction, less on increases in policy rate, could help limit yield curve flattening during policy normalization. I think this is a, a response to December of eighteen. Uh, remember, the markets were down, not quite a bear market because it never closed. Uh, never closed. They got intraday below, you know, a twenty percent retracement from the highs. But when they raised rates back then, it actually inverted the curve, meaning the short rates were higher than the, the longer term rates. And so I think they're they're sensitive to that, and it seems like they want to thread the needle. They want to do a, a policy normalization that involves raising rates involves steepening the yield curve and at the same time reducing the balance sheet. Now, the other thing that was mentioned too is, and this was in the minutes, the overnight uh, reverse repo facility. So that's where the Federal Reserve takes collateral, lends the collateral, and this is very, this is near money collateral, like, you know, three-month paper, uh, three-month tre uh, treasury notes, 
it lends the collateral and it takes back in cash that institutions, you know, uh, money market funds, they have to invest. And so they, they use this instrument called an overnight reverse repo agreement. I'll link to a, a web, uh, a podcast I did explaining in detail what those are. Uh, but it also is noted too, that, you know, they're, they've been using around 1.5 trillion of that facility, which is really big. That's the biggest I've, I think I've ever seen. And one of the things they noted that some participants, by participants, these are FOMC members, uh, judged the Federal Reserve to be better positioned for normalization in the past. And why are they saying that? Well, they go on to say, uh, as the ample reserves framework and the Federal Reserve's current interest rate control tools, including interest on reserve balances and the overnight reverse repurchase agreements, or ONRRP facility, are in place and working well. And participants went on to, uh, to say that a significant amount of the balance sheet shrinkage could be appropriate over the normalization process, especially in light of the abundant liquidity in money markets and elevated usage of the overnight repo, reverse repo facility. So it seems like in addition to things I mentioned, uh, they believe that the uh, the overnight reverse repos, which is quite a bit of size now, uh, will be some way that they help to smooth the uh, the tightening cycle. So we'll see how all this works out. And I think if you're if you're watching this, there's a couple things. Number one is if you're invested right now and you, and you're like, oh, should I get out? Should I no? You should be hedged, and in case markets don't like some of the actions, and I always mention that, and we always talk about it on the show. But the idea is to be invested in markets and be hedged. You shouldn't be trying to make short-term moves based upon all this stuff. But there are a few, a few different dates coming up where we'll we'll sort of know more. And, you know, if you want to look at the meeting dates of the Federal Reserve, we got one January 25th and 26th, and then March 15th to 16th. And by the way, it's it's kind of like every other meeting these days. It has a, a, the March one is associated with a summary of economic projections. That's that's the dot plots where people say what they think their interest rates are going to be, what GDP, GDP is going to be, and all those types of things. And even in the January meeting, we'll get the press conference, but we don't get the minutes until later. Now, I'll always uh, mention the FOMC probability tracking tool from the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And that's a tool based upon the Fed Fund's futures. They look at what they're trading at, and they try and equate that to the probabilities. And so the January meeting basically only has a, an 8.7% probability according to what the Fed Fund's future is trading at. And Fed Funds, by the way, are, so it you know, looks like a, the January contract was 99.9175. You take 100 minus that, and that's the implied interest rate at that contract term. So it's not expecting a raise. If they were to raise rates, well... I mean, they could always telegraph a raise, but that would be really unexpected. 
And then you go to March. March right now only has a 24% probability that rates will remain where they are today. They've got a close to 70% probability there'll be a raise of a quarter point and just over a 6% probability there'll be a raise of a half point. And this was, you know, a month ago, that was December 8th, there was a 65% probability that rates would stay exactly the same. And so the Fed watchers, and I'll, you know, caution people that these probabilities move around and they move around based upon the sort of feel of the market and what people are saying. Um, So, but it's, the Fed funds futures is interesting because that's real money being put to work uh, on a financial instrument. So, all right. So I read the Fed minutes, so you don't have to. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes where you can find the Fed minutes if you're so inclined. And uh, I'll also put a link to the CME, the Fed probability tool. And basically the way that works is you go in there and it comes up and you click the month. These are corresponding months to the expiration of that Fed funds futures contract. And then they've got a graph and it says the probability of the, the different rate amounts. Um, so I hope this was helpful and sort of explaining what people were talking about with this balance sheet reduction. A couple of things that are sort of on the horizon. We do have uh, CPI releases coming up. Uh, in fact, the CPI is going to be released, let's see, uh, January 12th. So that's uh, this week coming up. And the January one that comes up will be the December month numbers. And the Cleveland Fed, which has an inflation now casting tool, has about a 6.9, I think 6.9% year over year um, forecast. Now, now cast are just, they take all the data that comes in bit by bit and, uh, and they sort of look at that. The other thing that I'll, I'll point out too is that even though we've got inflation very, you know, what people believe is, is very high right now, and GDP expectations for Q4 are also pretty good. Uh, the Atlanta GDP now has the last estimate of a plus 6.7% annualized. So the quarter number is lower, but then they annualize it up. Um, so uh, those are good numbers. In fact, those those actually are higher than the, the street consensus. So, And then the big thing is going to be earnings coming up. We know that corporate earnings have been good. We know that net profit margins by corporations have been the highest they've been in many years. And so all this stuff is just all these different data points. And this is why for an investor is just be invested, be hedged. But uh, all these things are sort of a confluence of, of data that will come out. And then we have COVID still. So COVID, you know, has a little bit of headline risk. Although I think that's now priced into the market. So anyway, All right. Hopefully this was helpful. I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, Hopefully we'll get Jay back on maybe next week or the week after. And uh, continue to send me emails, derek.moore at zegafinancial.com. And again, if I, uh, uh, rather than wasting time rating and starring and reviewing and doing that, I mean, you can give me a five-star 
and, and a nice review. That's always nice. Uh, but go ahead and share this podcast with someone who you think might either enjoy it. Maybe they won't enjoy it, but they'll just find it interesting. I guess you could find something interesting, but not enjoy it. Well, maybe not. Uh, but go ahead and, and find someone that doesn't listen to podcasts and send them the link to this episode. So with that, we'll leave it there. Happy New Year again, and we'll talk to you next week.